We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Larry Friedell asked, does Xavier Watts have one or two years of eligibility left? So Xavier Watts is a senior who was a freshman in 2020, the COVID year. So he is not one of those guys that has the extra COVID year. His red shirt was the same year as the COVID year. So Xavier has one year left after this season. So Larry, if you're asking about two, if you're counting this year, then he has two. So 23 and 24 but he has no eligibility beyond 2024 barring some sort of injury situation happening next year, which I you know don't, don't see that, but obviously um, he has one more season left after this year. And I hope he takes it because look, he had a great game on Saturday, but there's a lot Xavier still has left to learn as a safety that another full year playing that position could help him with. And I'm hoping that he takes advantage of it. And it's good for Notre Dame too, but also good for Xavier to, to be in that type of situation. Got a question from Call Me Ty. Says, just wanted your thoughts on the 24 commits. Anybody that's standing out to you? Good question. So, CJ Carr, I've watched a lot of his senior film. He's just a more experienced version of who he is, which is very good. He's been what I'd hoped he would be. Uh, Kedron Young has taken that senior year jump that I'd hoped for. He was very good as a junior. He's even better as a senior. Normal progression. We've talked about, um, haven't seen Aeneas Williams yet. Kirby Lambert's technique has improved quite a bit. He's a much more dominant player so far this year. Styles Prescott has taken a huge jump this year, in my opinion. He's been really good. Uh, I know Ryan has talked about Anthony Knapp taking a jump. I haven't seen Anthony Knapp yet, so I can't speak to him. I haven't watched Peter Jones uh, this season so far. Um Micah Gilbert's been really dynamic this year. Like he is a man possessed. He's playing. He looks healthier. He's got a little bit more juice off the line, but it's not so much about that. It's just he's playing. I've said a lot about Notre Dame. He's playing with a lot more urgency, and his production has skyrocketed compared to past seasons. He's already set career highs in catches and yards and all those type of things. He's just a much more, uh, even more polished, but just a, a more, you can just tell he just has a little bit more just that dog, just like, man, I want to beat you. He's playing both ways. He had a huge pick this weekend of Jaden Davis as well, 
which is big. Uh, Cam Williams is the same guy he was last year as far as the things he's doing, uh, playing a little bit more defense. They've been lining him up a quarterback. But the thing that's jumped out to me about him, it's not so much the production because I don't really bump a guy up from a star ranking standpoint or a grade standpoint just because he produced more as a more polished guy or whatever. Or maybe he's the same guy, but just getting more touches. It's did he make an improvement in from a technical standpoint? Did he make an improvement from a physical standpoint? And and physical standpoint can mean your size growth or can mean you're stronger, faster, something along those lines. And that's part of like with Micah Gilbert, and he's stronger than he was last year. And he was strong last year, but with Cam, Cam's got even more juice this year than he did last year. So he was a four and a half star top 50 guy for me coming into the season. And he's been more explosive. So his grade will rise because of that. And so that's a, a big thing to see. Um, defensively, Bryce Young's a different guy. I mean, he was a tall, gangly kid. He was probably 220 last year, 225 at the most. You know, showed some burst off the edge, but just was still learning the game. I mean, think about some of the questions we asked about him. Is like, you know, you'd think with his dad being who he is, he'd be a little bit further along technically and, you know, you're, but you're seeing that jump this year. He's gained 30, 40 pounds. He's more explosive. He's a lot more powerful. He like looks, looks more and more like an, a football player, like a natural football player now. And he's just been dominant. I mean, he's been outstanding so far this season. Uh, Bodie Cahoon's numbers are great. I just haven't seen a lot of film of him yet. Uh, Kingston is, is more smooth and athletic and explosive than he was. I think the year back from the, the year, an extra year move from the injuries really helped him become a more explosive player more impactful player. I uh, haven't seen anything from Leonard Moore. Uh, just there's just no, I haven't found any film on him yet. So I can't really comment on him just yet. Uh, same with Bronte, same with uh, Kennedy Erlacher and Tabron Benny Powell. But of those guys that I've watched, there's been some that have made big jumps. Jack Larson's been very good this year. His ball skills. I mean, he hasn't necessarily gotten better this year in that regard. It, he's always just been great at it. He's got sick ball skills. I mean, just really great ball skills. And he's playing some defense this year. I remember watching the game on ESPN where he was going against Providence Day. He had a really good sack in the game. So, yeah, I, yeah, I like Jack. I think Jack's gone from uh, – he's become a very underrated part of this class, in my opinion. Very underrated part of this class. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate – isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The fall season is incredibly busy for me, which makes it hard to spend the time needed to make healthy meals and live a healthy life. 
If you have the same problem, you'll want to try Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. I've had Factor meals, and I'm going to continue buying from them, especially with a special discount for Irish Breakdown listeners. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and prepping and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back to crushing your goals. You can choose from 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never frozen meals to promote a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all ready to eat in two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash irish50 and use code irish50 to get 50% off. That's irish50 at factormeals.com slash irish50 to get 50% off. I've tried it. I'm sticking with them. You should try too. Tommy Guns says, ask, is the best team, is the best college football team in Virginia one lacking the name of the state? Well, Tommy, and when you look at my IB top 25, the only team from the state of Virginia that I had in my top 25 is James Madison. So I would agree that that James Madison right now is the best team in the state of Virginia. I don't really think it's debatable, to be completely honest with you, unless you want to talk about like a, you know, an FCS team. I don't know how William and Mary and Richmond are doing this year. I can actually look it up and see if they're doing anything this year. But as far as the the, the FBS teams, I mean, you know, Liberty six and zero right now, and so you can maybe talk about Liberty. But I don't, I don't really view Liberty as that kind of team. They haven't really played anybody. They've had some wins that were, you know, good. I mean, look, when you're Liberty, if you're winning all your games, that's a great accomplishment. I'm not trying to take away from what Liberty has done, you know, but they've played Bowling Green, New Mexico State, Buffalo, Florida International, Sam Houston State, and Jacksonville State. The last game against Jacksonville State was the first time this year that they had a win that impressed me. They went on the road and beat a, a, a pretty good Jacksonville State team for that level. And, and beat them convincingly. And it was a good game. It was 10-10 at halftime. They went into the, the second half or the, the fourth quarter with a 17-13 lead and then put it away late. So, you know, look, I, I, I like what Liberty's doing. Uh, I'm not trying to take away from it at all, but just the reality is, is they're just they're just a better – James Madison, to me, is just a better football team. And James Madison's win this weekend, and, and I don't know how many of you saw it, I actually watched a chunk of that game. But they beat a pretty good Georgia Southern team this weekend uh, and and beat them, again, convincingly. and won 41-13. to 13. Their schedule's not overly impressive either. Uh, they've beaten Bucknell, Troy, Utah State, South Alabama, and Georgia, and Georgia Southern. South Alabama's actually been a pretty pretty competitive team this year. You know, even though they're losing, their losses are to Tulane, Central Michigan, and they lost by four. They lost to a pretty good two-lane team. They beat Oklahoma State 33-7, beat Southeast Louisiana, just killed Louisiana Monroe. And so you look at them and say they're 3-3. Three and three. That's not impressive. But, again, they lost at Tulane 37-17 uh, in, in a game uh, that Tulane scored last. So, you know, it was a it was a competitive-ish game. In the second half, it was 24-17 at one point in the second half. And then Tulane scored the next 13 points, touchdown and, and two field goals. They, I mentioned they beat. Um, I mentioned they beat um, 
Oklahoma State, lost to Central Michigan by only four points, and then lost to James Madison by eight points. That's it. That's all they did. And so I'm in, I'm impressed by what James Madison is doing. I really am. I think they're a good football team. And then, of course, they beat Virginia. So now they got a big one coming up uh, this weekend against Marshall. They've got to beat Marshall, but they've, they've got a chance to have be a 10-11 win team this year and can't go to a bowl game. NCAA won't let them go to a bowl game, which is just absolutely stupid. But yeah, I, I would say I would say they're at they're I mean they've got the head to head win over Virginia as well. Uh, Virginia should have won that game, but James Madison did a great job. Fourth quarter scored twelve answers in the fourth quarter to win the game. So I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Dukes. It's been the team to beat in the state of Virginia. Call me Ty. Notre Dame's top to bottom talent level is going to continue to rise. I agree. Do you think we will see the impact of Freeman's recruiting really start to hit next year, especially on defense with the young linebackers? No. Uh, well, yes and no. Meaning next year's team is going to be really young. And there's going to be some very talented players. So we'll start to we'll start to see the impact next year from a, a lot of them are going to play. They're going to be flashy. Will they be consistent? Don't know. Where I think we're really going to see, and this isn't me doing the whole wait till next year type of thing, because I fully expect Notre Dame to go out there next year and, and be competitive because their schedule, yeah, they, they're going to be young, but the schedule is is such that there's still a, not. I mean, USC's not probably not going to have Caleb Williams next year. I mean, they're, they're going to have, they're going to lose some guys. So to me, it's going to be, you still need to be pretty good. It's 25 is really when I start to look at this Notre Dame football team and say, that's when you're going to see it. Because it's going to be mostly the entire roster, for the most part, is going to be Freeman's recruits. And that's when you start to say, okay, that's when Drake Bowen and Jeremiah Love and Jaden Greathouse and guys like that are juniors. And and this incoming 2024 class, which is vastly underrated in my opinion, are going to now have the year under their belt. So it's that 25 year that you're going to see it. And that schedule is going to be a lot more daunting as well. You've got Texas A&M at home. You play Purdue and USC at home. You're going to play NC State at home and Syracuse at home. You also play at Arkansas. You have to play at Miami. And then there's still two games that have to get added to the schedule. You have to play at Pitt that year. And there's still two more games going to be added. Looking at the schedule, you're probably going to see at least one like Mac type team added. And then the, the other one is, okay, do they add a second team like that? Or do you see like a, a big opponent added to, to fill out that schedule? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you've already got a Pac-12 team, two SEC teams, a Big Ten team on top of your five ACC opponents. So it's a, a pretty tough schedule, but you could see them say, hey, we got to add one more good team. We'll see. But that's going to be interesting. But 25 would be when I really think we start to see it. But we'll we'll – We'll definitely get a heavy dose of Freeman recruits next year for sure. No doubt about it. Got another one from T Guns. Is there any update on the SEC commit that secretly visited a few weeks ago? I guess since we haven't heard anything that I'm aware of, probably not a good sign for the big beefy. Uh, I wouldn't read into that that way. Uh, they're still recruiting him, still talking to him. He's still committed to Georgia. So things are just trending along. They're trying to convince him that Notre Dame wants him more than Georgia does. It did not help. I believe Aiden Breland committed to um, Oregon this weekend, I believe. And that didn't help because they thought – a lot of people thought Georgia was going to get him. I know that there's a lot of predictions for Georgia to get him. And if they got him, it was going to it was going to 
give Notre Dame a really good chance to convince that kid that his future was better served at Notre Dame. So it's a little bit of a tougher battle now, but they're still in it. They're still pushing for him. They're still recruiting him. And same with Carter Nelson. You know, neither came with the intention of flipping that weekend. It was all about, I really like what Notre Dame has to offer. Let me look into it. And now you've got to keep closing on them and, and playing, you know, and playing the game and, and trying to convince them that this is the best place for them. Laker Irish, our running game seems to not have the juice that it had the first few weeks. Is that a personnel play calling formation issue? What should we do to fix it? Good question. Solidifying what you're good at right now is important and all those type of things. But number one, the pass game has to protect the run game more. That That's number one for me. Overall, big picture. Because teams are still just, USC said, we're, we're going to dare you to beat us throwing the football. Notre Dame didn't do it a lot, but they did it in some big moments, which allowed them to put that game away. You know, the, the big play to Rico Flores and the even bigger play to Chris Tyree. It's only through for like 126 yards, but I mean, two big ones. You've got to do a better job complementing your run game with the pass game, number one. And then within the run game, there's some things you need to do. I think they've gone away a lot from some of the diversity of the run game. I, I, I thought they got back to that a little bit. Against USC, we saw some inside zone. We saw power. We saw some G scheme stuff. We saw some toss, a couple misreads there, but, you know, execute it better. But the final thing is the O-line just has to play better as a group. And there's there's just still leaving at USC. There's still just too much of four guys did their job, one didn't. And it's a different guy every time. So protect it more. Get some of the numbers out of the box. There's some things you can do with your personnel. I've said this before. When Notre Dame's offense has been really good, they have a lot of success running out 11 personnel because teams are geared more towards the passing the football. Uh, I'm going to have to look more at Chris Tyree's st- statistics to see if he's still got a heavy uh, run pass when he's in the game. They run a lot compared to, you know, throwing. Or, I mean, they throw a lot more than they pass. There's some things like that that have been tells. I haven't checked that out the last couple of weeks, so I don't want to dive too much into that. But those are things that I would look at. And it just it, some of it is, I mean, look, Sometimes I think coaches lean too heavily on the, well, we just got to execute better. And it's a cop-out sometimes. But sometimes it's like, yeah, we, it's, I mean, it's that simple. You need to, you need to execute better. Like Marcus Freeman made the execute better comments against Louisville. And he's right. I mean, if they execute better, they might win that game. But them winning that game doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing what you need to do. Because, yeah, maybe they execute better and they, they win. But as he has said in the past, and I agree with him on this, you can't allow the result. He said this after the Duke win. You can't allow the result to mask the process. Well, I think sometimes maybe he has some blinders on to the offense that, yeah, maybe if you execute better, it would have worked. But does that mean you're really doing what you need to be doing offensively? Maybe, maybe not. That's a conversation that needs to be had. But there is a level of you just got to execute better. The offensive line has got to get back to being a five guys playing together as one type thing. I've said this before. And a great offensive line is like a symphony. There's all these different parts, and they all have different jobs, and they work together, sometimes together in, 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 in a part of it, and sometimes it's, 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 it's differently. But a great symphony is just it's all these different instruments just coming together to just form one beautiful sound and, and, just, and just like it, it's like an emotional ride. It's like, oh, this is really nice and smooth, and boom, it kind of – and it's the same thing here. It's – it's all got to flow together as one. It's a lot of moving parts doing different things, but when they are all working towards one goal and everybody's doing their job and the timing is good and 
and I'm getting to that double team at the right time and I'm leaving the double team at the right time and not too early, not too late. Because again, think about a symphony. You know, you've got this thing where you're coming in as a, you know, let's say you're you're uh, uh, you, you getting ready to bring the trumpets in for this thing. Well, if the trumpets are too early or too late, doesn't sound good, does it? Right? And so same thing here. If I'm working a double team and I leave the double team too early to get the second level, that guy, you you weren't allowed to get around that guy. He's getting in the backfield. He's blowing up the run. If I leave too late and this guy crashes through and I don't get off and all of a sudden, you know, hey, we did a pretty good job on this double team, but I didn't get off to that linebacker. And so play didn't work. It's got to be that we're pushing, pushing, pushing. Boom, I come off at the right time. We make that block and just get a body on a body and then boom, the running backs are going to go. And, and so they're, they got to get back to that. That's going to be a big key as we get into the second half of the season. That's going to be a very, very big key. And if they can get back to doing that, then I think this, this team is going to have a chance to get rolling. And, and Pitt's an interesting team because Pitt's had some games where their run defense has not been very good, and they've had a lot of other games where their run defense has been very good. And so I don't know what to expect, but, but you, you know you're, here's what you know about a Pat Narduzzi team. You may beat them, and you may beat them convincingly, but you're going to have to earn it because they're going to come at you physically. They're going to play hard. They're going to be physical. They're going to punch in the mouth, and you've got to have answers, and you've got to execute a high level, and you've got to be one to punch back. And I'm talking figuratively speaking, right? And so the whole – if you're doing the whole, well, we're not really working well together, they will eat you up in the run game. If you're working well together and you're playing physical and you're getting movement and, you're, and your timing is good, that's a team you can run on. Now, will they do that or not? We'll see. But that's going to be the big thing for me. It's just getting the offensive lines got to get back on the same page on top of the things I talked about before. John A1, uh, what skill set is Notre Dame ideally looking for at, in the field wide receiver position? It's got to be a vertical guy and a big play guy. That That's the ideal thing. It, you, you know who the perfect – I mean, I'm not saying every field guy needs to be this, but that's what made Will Fuller so good is that's his game. I mean, he was he his game was goes, comebacks, stop routes, post routes. I mean, that's what Will did. He did the occasional crosser, but most of his production came on vertical. It's a, taking the top off the defense, attacking with go routes, attacking with post routes, attacking with corner routes, attacking with you know you're running off. They're afraid of the post. The corners are flipping their hips and getting deep, and then boom, you come up one two. You're out the gate on a comeback route for 15, 20 yards, a stop route things like that. It is a vertically oriented position. So ideally, you want to have a guy that is a vertical player. Tobias Merriweather fits that position well. Just got to he's got to play better. You got to use him better. Uh Cam Williams fits that position very well, although seeing Cam as a senior, I think Cam can also play in the boundary. Uh, Braylon James is a guy that could could fit that role, could also do some of the boundary. So those are some guys that to me fit that mold very well. It's got to be a downfield vertical football player. And that to me is the ideal of what you're looking for at that position. Here's a quick one from Tommy T guns, Tommy guns. I'll ask the obvious question. One to 10, how are we feeling about Carter Nelson? I say about an eight right now. I mean, he, he hasn't flipped his commitment. He's, I believe is going to be going back to Nebraska this weekend or next for their next home game. So you've got work to do, but you made a great impression. Look, he's been in our name before and you brought him back and you put on a great showing. Now it's just closing the deal. It's it really what it comes down to is he knows Notre Dame is the place to be. He knows. 
He knows for his future, for championships, for playing in, a, in an offense designed for it. There's a need for his skill set in the class. All those things are true, and he knows that. It's just about are you willing to leave home or not? That's really what it boils down to. And and I don't know that there's a lot the staff can do about that. This is going to come down to Carter deciding, do you want to stay home, be close to home, be around your friends and your family? And all those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important. That's not. I'm not saying that mockingly. It's just about, or do you for the next you know four years or so, do you want to kind of branch out and do what's best for you and what's best for your career? That's the question. And he's going to have to answer that. But right now, things are certainly, I'll say this. How would we all be feeling if a Notre Dame kid went on a visit to Bama this weekend, did it for the reasons that we put on the board, he did it, and had a great time and all that? How would we be feeling right now? We'd all be kind of shaking on our boots a little bit, right? We'd all be very concerned about, boy, this kid, this is going to be a tough one. Well, that's the same thing about a Nebraska kid visiting Notre Dame. It's a very similar situation. Feel pretty good about it, but it's not a 10 because it's not a done deal yet. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Right, Tommy Gunn's trying to do his best John A1 impression today. So I'm going to try to work in some other people, Tommy, and they kind of come back to you as we get through this. Domer Grizz, happy Monday. Great game. And while the offense is not totally cooking, all three phases help dominate USC. How should Parker use the bye week to reset back to successful first four games? Well, I think I answered this a little bit. Find out who your personnel is. And and then just this is who we are. Let's let's go lean into it. And then how can you create being a more explosive team from that? What are you doing a lot of? How can we get better at it? Can we get to these things that we like out of different formations? What can we add to it to complement those things? And how can we get the ball down the field? That's got to be the biggest thing. If I'll tell you right now, if if the only change that they make are these two things, as far as changes, not like get better here, get better there, but just two changes is we're going to clean up our receiver rotation, not from a we're using less guys because I'm okay playing six guys a game, but more of a, okay, here's our top guys. Here's who's going to play more here. So we need to make sure we're really building our pass game around. If you do that and then say, we've got to do some things to make sure we're a better downfield passing team inside and out. If you simply do those two things and find good answers, this offense is going to take off because even if the running game is similar to what it's been the last few weeks, but you become that offense, your running game will get better just by that alone, because it's going to remove people from the box. Now, if you can also clean up your run game, that makes it even more dynamic. And that's why I say, man, if they can figure out the perimeter on these last four games, this team is going to be really, really good. And if they don't, they'll continue to be an up-and-down team. And the one week that the defense has an off week, they might lose. That's who Notre Dame is right now. The defense has an off week against a decent team, they may lose. That's who they are. they got to figure out ways to not be that way anymore. And it really comes down to the offense. Because you can't expect the defense to have an epic performance like they did this weekend. Like You should read the article I put up yesterday at Irish Breakdown. I'm actually going to put that in the chat because it was just amazing. Like a, they're doing things like seven or eight, like at least might've even been more are things that they did in this game against USC that were like the best performance or second best performance or third best performance ever against an, a Lincoln Riley coached offense since he's been a head coach. I mean, when you're doing stuff like that, where this has only happened twice ever to him and it's never happened to him or tied the most, it was the most ever lowest ever. 
man, it was some impressive stuff. Like, I think it was the lowest yards per play he's ever had in a game, I believe, is the number I had. It was um, it was impressive. It was really impressive. It was, yeah, 4.08 yards per play. He, he, here's the stat. This gives you an example. The 4.08 yards per play was the lowest for a Lincoln-Riley offense his entire head coaching career. He had coached 85 games coming into this. The previous low was 4.56. In his 85 games coming into the Notre Dame game, his offense has only been held below five yards of play five times. Five times. And never, never lower than 4.56 per game. And that was in 2020 against Baylor. They held him to 4.08 yards per play. So if any USC fans trying to say, well, we had more yards than Notre Dame, just point out that Notre Dame against USC, their, their, their total offense, they were at 5.1 yards per play. USC was at 4.1 yards per play. Point that out. Say you had 51 more yards of offense on 25 more plays. So all Notre Dame needed to do was run, what, 25 plays and average two yards a play? and they would have matched USC in yardage. So it's not the own that you think it is, but you can't count on your defense to do that every single week. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to them. They're going to have an off game. It happens. LSU's vaunted 2019 D offense, as good as it was, scored 23 points in a win over Auburn. Do you know what happened that day? Defense stepped up and made the stops that they needed to do to win those games. Offense has to play better. And I'm telling you, if the offense starts playing to its potential, the defense won't have any off days because now there's no more pressure on them and they can just pin their ears back and go. And that's why that's why I say, like, I don't know what Notre Dame's going to be in the last four games. There's a lot they got to fix. But I'm telling you right now, if Jared Parker can find the right answers for this offense, just not even reinvent the wheel, just find some answers to be a better, get the ball outside, get the ball down the field offense, use the personnel you have a little bit better, build around some of those receivers more, just make them a little bit more of a focal point. Man, this – and I'm not saying turn them into Michael Floyd or Golden Tate Will Fuller, but just do more. Teams are going to be concerned about Chris Tyree. Do more to get him the ball, and then that's going to help other things. If they can find those answers, man, I'm telling you, these last four games are going to be fun to watch. If they don't, then we're going to have a couple nail biters, I think, where you're just like, man, this is – it's a nervous game, man. I'm not sure if they're going to win this game because the offense isn't scoring, and the you know defense can't keep this team down forever, man. Oh man, it's like the Louisville game and Duke game all over again. I don't know. There's going to be a couple more of those, but if the offense can figure it out, this team's going to have a lot of momentum going into the postseason. A lot because there's real to me. There's only two teams that can beat you. That's it. Pitt can beat you if you if you turn the ball over a bunch and don't play, and then Clemson. With all due respect, even to Pitt. I mean, Pitt showed that they can put it, they have enough talent to put it together for one weekend. I mean, Notre Dame should beat Pitt and beat Pitt convincingly. Clemson can beat you. The last two teams can't beat you unless you just don't show up. But like, I just don't see that happening. And when I mean don't show up, I don't mean Louisville. I mean Stanford last year. That's what I mean by don't show up. I don't see that happening in November if this team is nine and two. I just, because if they're nine and two going into that last game, they're probably a top ten team, and so you're not playing for a playoff berth, but you are playing for guys. We got a chance to play in a major bowl game, right? We have a chance to do something here, but we got to make sure we're ready to play this weekend. And and I think that they will. So that those are things that I'd like to see from them.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Connor Fitch says, what game are you going to watch this week? Well, Connor, my friend, it's going to be games. I, you know, it, I, my dad asked me, it was funny. I was talking to my dad yesterday. I was, uh, I was pumping some gas for Ange because I'm um, uh, completely whooped. My wife went and got a massage yesterday and she's panicking because there's no gas in the car. So instead of, you know, my wife's a strong, smart, independent woman, does not like pump gas. So instead of saying, babe, put your big girl pants on, go pump the gas. I stopped working, got in my car, drove to where she was, parked my car, took her car, went and filled it up in gas, came back, got my car and drove home. That's, yeah. We know who the boss is of this, of this household, and it's not me. At least not when it comes to things like that. So I'm talking to my dad at the gas station, and he says, you know, what are you going to be doing this weekend? I said, dad. I said, have you ever seen the movie Office Space? He goes, no, I haven't. Well, I said, well, it completely ruins the analogy. But you guys will all get it because a lot of you have seen the show. I said, I'm going to do absolutely nothing this weekend. And it's going to be everything I thought it would be. Uh, I'm actually, just to let you guys know, I'm going to take a couple days off this week. I need it. Um, I've got to get some things taken care of personally and, and just some different areas. So I'm actually not going to have a show Thursday. Uh, I won't be part of the recruiting show on Friday. I'll put a little bit of content out, but I'm going to, I'm going to, take some days off Saturday. I'm just going to be sitting by the couch. I'm, my wife's going to be out of town. So I'm going to have my, my desk out. So I'm gonna have the big TV on and have my computer with a game on. I'm gonna have the monitor with another game on, and I'm going to have my lap, my iPads all set up. So I'm going to have about four games on. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to um, the Penn state Ohio state game. Uh, I mean, that's a big one. That's a big, big game at, at three o'clock. Tennessee, Alabama, I'll, I'll have my eye on that one a little bit, to be honest with you, um, at 3.30. There's there's not a lot of great 3.30 games on this weekend, to be honest with you. Uh, there's some pretty interesting noon games. Air Force Navy is always a game that I – you know, it's kind of funny. I hate the option, but I love watching when the, the academies play each other. I don't know why. It's weird because they all run the option. But I hate the option, but I, I, I do enjoy watching those teams kind of play each other. It is kind of fun, but you know, three thirty games. Not a lot of great games on at that time. Tennessee, Alabama, South Carolina, Missouri, Minnesota, Iowa. I will not be watching because that is just going to be ugly, ugly, ugly football. Um, and then I'll watch a little bit of. The, I'll be flipping between that and the Pitt Wake Forest game just because that's two Notre Dame opponents. So I'll watch. I'll be flipping back and forth between that game a little bit. Uh, Ole Miss Auburn's an interesting game because Ole Miss is one of those teams right now ranked ahead of Notre Dame. So I'm curious to see how they're going to do. Uh, TCU-Kansas State's a game that interests me. TCU picked up a much-needed victory this past weekend. 
uh, getting back on track, beat BYU after they lost back-to-back games to West Virginia and TCU. It was just not good. And then Kansas State's just that, that they're still kind of suffering from that loss. They had a couple weeks ago to Oklahoma State. It was just a really bad loss. Got back on track against Texas Tech. They were off this past weekend. They need they need a win against TCU to kind of get back on track. So I'll, I'll probably watch that. That's two pretty well-coached football teams for the most part. Uh, I'll watch uh, 730, 7.30. I'm going to be watching the Duke Florida State game. And then uh, the Utah USC game is is mainly what I'll be watching. I'll be here. here here's what my seven thirty setup is going to look like. Okay, because this is this is to answer your question. I'm going to have Duke Florida State on the big screen. Okay, that's going to game I'm going to have on the big screen. I'm going to have Utah USC on my computer. I'm going to have Michigan Michigan State on my monitor, and then I'm going to have Clemson Miami on my iPad. That's what I'm going to have. So that, that'll be my setup. And I'll probably on one of those be switching over to the LSU Army game a little bit. Uh, but those are the games I'm going to watch. And then, you know, whatever Pac-12 after dark games are on there, I'll probably watch those late. But I'll I'll, I'll just have those on as background noise. But, uh, yeah, the, so not a ton of great games this weekend, but some really interesting games this weekend, in my opinion, that I'm going to be checking out. So what are you guys watching? I'm curious what games you guys – obviously a lot of people, Penn State, Ohio State, but I'm curious what games you guys are going to be looking for and what games you guys are going to be interested in seeing this weekend. Should be very interesting. Very interesting. Looking forward to the games. I mean, I, I really do think it's going to be a fun weekend of football. I really do. All right, back to some more questions. We have one Pete Weber. It would appear that a lot of our young coaches have to lo- a lot to learn still. This offseason, what's the best way for a coach to take the next step? Shadow other coaches. Watch old IB shows. Pray. Well, look, prayer is something that uh, all of us can benefit from, and I and I say that uh, partly jokingly, but Paul, partly also seriously. And like I know, Chancey Stucky's a man of faith, and so I, mean, I would assume he's going to be praying for wisdom and guidance to just be the man that he wants to be. And part of that's as a coach. But overall, it's there's a lot of things. Number one, scout yourself. Be willing to look in the mirror and say we weren't good at this, and it and it's not the players. It's not we were young, we're inexperienced. There's there's a level of that, but it's look, there's too much talent for us to not have been better, even with our inexperience and the hamstring. I mean, there's there's too many guys not playing to their potential at that position to to uh say it's what's well, about the talent. I don't I don't buy it. it. It's it's coaching is a part of that as well. You got to figure out why. What did I what what did I do as a contributing factor and fix it? So, and, 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 and what are the areas that need to be fixed? Number one, and then what can I do to address it? Well, what can you can do to address it is number one, meeting with your current coaches on staff. How are things we can do? Jared Parker used to coach receivers, lean into that. Dylan McCall is a smart football coach. I promise you, he's going to have some thoughts on that, on different things that you can do. Even if it's just how to, in, you know, how to talk to kids. Cause Chancey Stuckey's the guy that's really inexperienced there uh, talking about that from a position coach standpoint. And, and lean into that. Rely on some of the, the veteran guys. I'd spend time talking to Mike Mickens. Hey, what are some things that you guys, you know, what do you guys see? Because you watch our guys a lot. You know, you're going against our guys a lot. What are some things we do that that you think we're not doing better? What are some things that, that other teams do? He may say, hey, look, we played this one team, man, and they they gave us the hardest problems off the, at the line of scrimmage, man. They were, they were doing this thing and they were doing that thing. So you say, oh, I'm going to study that film a little bit. I'm going to check that film out. And then other parts of the offseason, it is meeting with other guys that that do what you do. Go meet with, you know, for other players, the guys that former players that you know in the NFL, like, hey, here's what we do. Or more often, what I really like to see is talk to different coaches. 
who are the best receiving cores in the country? What are they doing? Why? What? And not even necessarily best receiving cores, but who are the best coached receivers in college football? And what can I do to learn from them? What can I take what they're doing and apply it to what we're doing? My hope is that Chancey Stuckey looks in the mirror and says, I'm still just a third-year coach. And, yeah, I know this position, but maybe I'm not the, the coach I'm, I, I can be yet. And I'm going to get better. And, and you ask your players to get better, you should do the same thing. And, and I think he will. I think Chancey Stuckey's that kind of guy if, that if he's in Notre Dame next year. Who do those things? But, you know, who, who are the better coach teams? Who are the teams that are every year just producing a wide receiver? Doesn't matter who they lose or whatever. They just they just produce every year. There's a different guy stepping up. Talk to those guys. What are you guys doing? Is it your scheme? What are you doing drill-wise? What are you emphasize? What are things that are important to you? And, and get to those things. With Jared Parker, it's it's a, a same, same similar principle. Now, I don't think Jared Parker needs that from a position coach standpoint, but from a coordinator standpoint, yeah, absolutely. Keep keep doing that. Like, what what were we good at? Why did we hit that law in the middle of the year? Look at your tendencies. Look at your tendencies before. Look at your tendencies after. Look at your tendencies during. Look at your overall production. Man, we ran inside inside zone great here. We were inside inside zone great here, but during here, we were terrible at it. Why? What was going on? And figure it out. And then, like with Joe Rudolph, it's just going to be same. I mean, the the normal self evaluation you do from year to year, and then just say, okay, we got to figure out ways to get make sure we're getting our five best players in the field. And five best isn't always the five guys that know their job the best. Sometimes it's okay. This guy's really talented, and he's going to have some growing pains. But I got to push the envelope and get this kid ready to play. He's too good to sit because otherwise, your offense just becomes. You know, well, if you're older, you're always going to have the advantage. The younger is going to be way better than the older guy to to get out there, and that's just that's not a recipe for success. Sometimes you got to recognize, yeah, this kid's ahead of him right now because he knows what we're doing. But man, this kid's really good, and I got to figure out a way to get this guy going. If this offseason Joe Rudolph is not doing everything possible to get guys like Billy Shrouth and Charles Jagasaw and Sullivan Absher and Emil Wagner and Ashton Craig ready to go, whether starters or backups then that's just not a guy you're ultimately going to win championships with, in my opinion. He's going to have to figure out ways to get that done, and that's going to be a key. It's a very good question. Uh, T. Guns, how long did it take Mrs. IB? She prefers Mrs. Coach D, by the way, just saying she's not, she's not, she even has a shirt made that way, to fight her way through the fan base in order to reach the stadium exit. Over an hour. I mean, seriously, over an hour after the game. It took her over an hour to get out of stadium and get back up to get her stuff so she could leave. Yeah, it took a long time. It took a long time. Here's another one from T-Guns I'm going to answer quickly because we can actually get these quickly. Uh, which two teams have the best cases to get – which two lost teams have the best cases to get into the playoff? Well, right now it's Notre Dame and LSU. If they both went out, they will be – they are the two teams that I know that have two losses that have the best cases. When you look at Notre Dame, for example, you've got a win over a ranked Duke team. You've got a win over a ranked – a USC team, you'll have a, a last second loss where you play down to the wire against a team that's in the top five, and you've got chances to get some good wins remaining. Uh, you have one more chance to get a good win remaining against against Clemson. So not a lot of teams are going to have the kind of wins that Notre Dame will have with two losses and and, qual- and quality losses as well. Obviously, the one the Louisville wasn't a great loss, but you know Louisville's still a good football team, and and they'll go out and and. Um, you know, they're going to win some more games. They're, they're not going to go 11 and one. You know, they, they've got when you when you look at Louisville, they've you know, they had the bag lost to Pitt this weekend. They still have some tough games coming up. They're six and one right now. Uh, they play Duke. They play a bye week. Then they play Duke. 
let's say they say they one of those two teams is going to lose, so one of your two ranked teams is going to lose there. But then they got Virginia Tech at home, Miami or uh, Virginia at home, Virginia Tech and Virginia home. You have Kentucky at home and at Miami. You know they they got to have no more than two losses during that stretch. If they're nine and three, they're probably ranked. And you know Duke, when you look at their schedule r- remaining, you know they're a one loss team right now. They got to play at Louisville. That's after a week after playing at Florida State. They got to play home against Wake Forest at North Carolina at Virginia home against Pitt. So their schedule is much more daunting down the stretch, but they still have a shot to do, and especially if Riley Leonard can come back, so you still have enough chance to, to to win enough games to be ranked. So you'll have that as well. And you, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're rooting for Clemson to win this weekend and next weekend. You're absolutely rooting for Clemson to win because Notre Dame needs they need Clemson to be ranked when they play. If, if you're talking about like really getting Notre Dame stock up to where if craziness happens, and and honestly, the only reason I'm talking about Notre Dame as a two loss team being in the playoffs because I was asked about it. It's not something I'm I'm contemplating. But if they beat Miami on the road this weekend, beat NC State on the road this weekend, there's a very uh, the next weekend there's a great chance Clemson is going to be ranked. And then out of the Notre Dame game, they lose. Let's say they drop out, and you got Georgia Tech at home, North Carolina home, at South Carolina. You know, they run the table there. They're back in the top 25. So they'll have a great shot to be there. LSU's got a strong case as well. They they don't have any great wins right now. Their best win right now is at Missouri. The other wins are Grambling, who's not good, Mississippi State, who's not good, Arkansas, who's not good, and Auburn, who's not very good. Then they beat Army this weekend. Then they have home games against Florida and Georgia State. Neither are are that good. Although Florida's five and two. So, you know, Florida keeps winning. Uh, that could potentially be one of those games. They're five and two, but they got Georgia this weekend. And then if they lose to Georgia, even if they beat Ark, because they're not ranked now, but if they lose to Georgia this weekend, there's no way they're ranked. And if LSU beats them, then there's no way they're ranked. And then they got to play Florida State still. So I, this is still going to be a potentially a four or five loss football team, Florida. So they're not going to be ranked, but LSU does get that big game at Alabama. And if they beat Alabama at Alabama, that's a big win, a big win for them. So now all of a sudden you're looking at their two wins is they got a road win over a, a, a decent Missouri team. You know, we'll see what Missouri does the rest of the way. Um, you know, obviously they've got they've got a couple big ones coming up. They play South Carolina this weekend, but then they're at Georgia, home against Tennessee, and then home against Florida, and then at Arkansas. So perhaps, you know, ha- perhaps they falter down the stretch. We'll we'll see. Uh, but they so but LSU will have a big win over a good win over Missouri road win over Missouri which is very similar to Notre Dame's game against Duke so both of those teams could fall out but at the time those were good wins and you get credit for that and then they'd have that big road win at Alabama and that win would most likely be better than anything Notre Dame has done uh, Notre Dame's wins right now their best wins are over USC and um, um, Duke well there's a Pretty decent chance that Alabama is going to be ranked ahead of Notre Dame, or I mean, ahead of USC when it's all said done. Because USC has has uh, they play Utah this weekend. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you want US. I know you're not going to hear it, but for Notre Dame's sake, you want US Utah to win that game or USC to win that game. Then they play at Cal, so hopefully they can win, climb back up. But then they got to finish Washington at home, at Oregon, home against UCLA. They have a brutal stretch coming up the chances of them being ranked higher than Alabama are not good right now. So LSU LSU would have a, a strong case to make. And then the other thing too is if LSU goes 11 and, or 10 and two and runs the table, they win the West and then they would get a shot at Georgia in the SEC title game. So right now 
LSU has the chance to have a better two-loss resume if they went out than Notre Dame does. So right now, I don't know that Notre Dame has a chance to have the best two-loss resume. The advantage that Notre Dame would have is their losses were more competitive, especially their one good loss were more competitive. And and so you've got you've got a one Ole Miss to lose some games and make that not look as good. But the the twenty one point loss to Florida State's the one saving grace Notre Dame has. But you know how much are they going to count that against LSU if they run the table and beat Georgia? I I don't know that they will. I think they'll they'll have a, a better shot to get in. So root for LSU to lose games. That's what you should root for to happen if you're worried about a two loss Notre Dame team getting in. But honestly, right now T Guns, I'm not. Uh, um, there's so much that has to happen before I'm even having a conversation about whether or not a two-loss Notre Dame team is getting the, the playoff or any two-loss team is going to play off. There's a lot that has to happen. There's still there's still several undefeated. I mean, there's still three undefeated teams in the Big Ten. You know, there's still, um, you know, right now Texas and Oklahoma both have really good resumes and, and relatively easy schedules to where, you know, if Texas wins in a rematch, then they both have better resumes than Notre Dame. If you're if you're someone who focuses on you know um, the number of losses, there's still multiple undefeated teams. And actually, no, there's only one team left in the in the Pac-12 that's undefeated. That's Washington. But you know, Oregon State doesn't have to play all those teams. There's a chance they could have two teams in there with one loss. There's still there's still five undefeated or one loss teams in the SEC. You know, so there's a lot of work to be done. I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. I'm just saying, hey, went out, get into a New Year's Six Bowl. And then if the craziness happens, we can we can talk about it then. But I think the first playoff ranking comes out the week after the pit game, and we'll have a better idea of what Notre Dame will need to do at that point in time. Laker Irish asks, what, what does a recruit visit look like the game day versus a June non-game visit? I mean, it's very different. A lot of the get to know Notre Dame stuff is going to be similar meetings and all that. But I mean, it's a, a simple one day is literally the entire day is built around the kids being around them, getting them around your players, showing them all the parts of campus. A, a game day visit is literally that you're there. You do stuff before the game. You, they have like a little function in the, the IAC where they all meet and talk and are around the coaches. And then it's taking some tours, but it's just about being around the team, being around the game. I mean, they're down on the field a couple hours before the game on the field, watching the players go through warmups and stuff like that. So it's literally centered around the game. And then a non, like a non visit, a non game day visit. It's, it's everything is centered around the players and getting them, getting them on, um, you know, meeting with advisors and getting them around the different facilities and all, all the things like that. It's just way different. That's why what Notre Dame tries to do, is they try to get kids on campus over the summer for unofficials or for officials. And then the game day visits are unofficials. That's what they prefer is to have that play out that way. So like Carter Nelson visited this weekend, it was an unofficial visit because he took his official visit during the season. So this was more about just getting him around the team, getting around game day atmosphere. That's what it was about. It wasn't about go sit down with this advisor. You've already done all that. Let's sit down with this academic coordinator. You've already done all that. This is about football and what this environment is like. And that's why that's why they like to get guys to games, but then save the officials for um, the offseason. Now, some guys will do the June – like I think it was Logan Saldate, his first trip was like during the fall because of how it happened. That happens sometimes. And some players will take an unofficial during the summer, and then they want the game day thing to be an official. And that's fine too, but they're still getting that summer experience with just the – because 
The only thing that changes for an official versus unofficial, if you come for a couple of days over the summer during an official weekend and it's not an official visit for you, it just means you got to pay for your travel and you got to pay for your lodging and stuff. I mean, that's the only difference, but you can still do all the same things that a, a official visitors are doing. Domer Grizz, which remaining game or games are you most looking forward to for any reason and or which one will tell us the most about the direction of the program under Marcus Freeman? It's the next two for me. It is. It's the next two for me because the pit game, I just want to see how this team handles success and how they come out of the bye week. But the Clemson game really is, is if it's one, it's the Clemson game. I mean, look, Wake Forest at home on senior day, that's a game you should win. I mean, that's a, that's a game you should, should dominate if we're being honest. You know, Stanford picked up a big road win this weekend, but they're still not very good. It's like I, I had a buddy say, you know, Stanford might be a lot more formal than I was like, I doubt it. They're not, they're not good. They lost to Sacramento State, got blown up by Oregon, got blown up by USC. Their wins are over Hawaii and a Colorado team that they were losing 29 to nothing at halftime. I promise you, promise you, if Notre Dame's beating Stanford 29 nothing at halftime, it will not be close at the end of the game uh, for a million reasons. But it, they're just not good teams. Clemson is, is the defining moment. Now, you've got to handle business against Pitt to get to that moment. But going on the road – Beating Clemson, especially if Clemson wins the next two weeks, is the thing that will, to me, goes the longest way towards changing the the outlook that we have on a ten and two season. Because ten and two is not good enough. It's not as good as you should have been. You should not be ten and two. You should have beat Louisville. I mean, I can praise the job the offense did against USC and say hey, good job, but still, that doesn't mean that what happened against Louisville didn't happen. It just means I'm not going to dwell on it. But when you evaluate the season big picture, that happened, and you can't ignore it, and it 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 put a black eye on the season. Clemson is beating Clemson, and then running the table can be the thing that kind of okay, it's it makes this black eye go away a little bit. You start feeling like okay, yeah, it did. It wasn't the season that it should have been or could have been, but it's still a very good season that shows that this program is headed in the right direction. Got some questions that need to get answered. But running the table, including a, a November road win against Clemson, is a great place to be. A great place to be. The only thing that could be better is playoff and you know all that stuff. And that's obviously better. And that's where you should be. But it's 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 still it's definitely a big step in progress. And especially for recruits that don't look at Notre Dame the same way that I do and maybe some of the older folks do, where it is championship is the ultimate goal. Um, I, that's always a standard you should be measured by in their name. Did you win a championship or not? That's ultimately the standard to measure by, but I'm also not one of those championship or the seasons of failure type of guys. Not, not, not in the, the, there's no rational way of doing that. It's just other than that real narrow. Did you win a championship or not? Right. Okay. Well, if it's a pass fail thing there, then sure. But as far as evaluating, did your program take strides to getting to that point this season or not? 10 and two with a blowout win over USC, a hard-fought down-to-the-wire loss against Ohio State and a road win over Clemson is exactly that. It is you are taking steps to becoming that team because now what's left for Marcus Freeman? It's, okay, stop losing the games you shouldn't lose, like against Louisville. That's a lot easier to overcome than what Brian Kelly's problem was, which is you can't win big games. You can't beat the best teams on your schedule. Well, Marcus Freeman will have done that now. And so you'll have passed Clemson as a program, ultimately, finally put them – completely behind you and you got your rivalry against USC back on track. So that, that game to me is the one that's going to define it. And, and USC was, was the big one huge needed that game so bad. 
And the Clemson game doesn't matter if you don't beat USC. Because if you lose to USC, then the Clemson game is like, okay, let's don't go eight and four, you know? And, and that's, that's the saving grace is that you won this game. This was the huge one. You needed it. But now it's like, okay, now it's time to build on this big win. And Clemson would, would be that in my opinion. I've got a question down here from Stevie wonder. Can Cam Williams, uh, Cam Williams, a starter week, a week one starter. Okay. Let me try this again, Stevie. Cam Williams, a starter week one next year. What say you? It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, look, there's some talented kids on the roster. How, how what kind of jumps do they make? Who stays, who goes? Uh, it's possible. I, I wouldn't put it past him. It's a very talented player. I just, I think sometimes we as fans get too caught up into the whole, well, these guys are showing their warts now that they're freshmen and sophomores in college. They're not the perfect players we had convinced ourselves they were. And so now we're ready to to move off on to the next guy that's never had a bad snap in college, right? Like Cam Williams is dominating in high school right now. That's that's great. But so did Tobias and so did Jaden Greathouse and so did Rico Flores and so did, you know what I mean? Like so did Chris Tyree, so did all these guys. They were all great high school players. Now it's about, okay, well, is Cam better suited? Is he better? All those type of I'm sure we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. He's got a shot. Look, if I'm an outside receiver and I know Cam Williams is going to be here in the spring, I'm putting in some work this offseason. If I'm a competitor, I'm putting in some work because I know Cam will. So you better be on top of your game uh, if you're going to keep him off the field. So it's possible. I'm not talking. I'm not saying, oh, he's going to be a starter because I just – that's a lot of pressure to put on a freshman that he's going to beat out the tech players they currently have. Okay. Like, well, what has Tobias Merriweather done? What has Cam Williams done in college? Right? Doesn't matter what you do in high school, it's what you do in college. Well, what what has Jaden Greathouse done? What is still has more production in college than Cam Williams does, right? So, like, let's just see how he does. Let's see how he adjusts. The thing I can absolutely say is I'll be shocked if Cam Williams is not a, a key part of the rotation next year. Whether that means he starts or not, we'll see. He's capable of it, but I barring injury. I will be absolutely floored if Cam Williams isn't playing next year. Yeah, floored. I just – I don't see how that happens. PJC1122 says, how does Cam Williams compare to the highest-ranked receivers in his class? I think he is one of the highest. I think he's one of the best. I mean, he's one of the highest-ranked, number one. I mean, he is one of the highest-ranked receivers in the, the the class. Jeremiah Smith is the number one guy. They're a little different players. So right now, Cam is ranked as the number five receiver in the country, according to On3, number 10 by 247 Sports, ESPN, and Rivals. Uh, I There's no way in the world that I, I have seen 10 wide receivers better than Cam Williams. I just haven't seen it. I think in this case, On3 is much closer to, to where he is. Uh, Mylon Graham is ranked ahead of him. I, I do not think Mylon Graham's a better player than him. Uh, Micah Hudson is in the conversation. I love Micah Hudson as a player. Cam Coleman's a good football player, the kid from Alabama. I, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade Cam Williams for him. I wouldn't. He's flat out in that conversation. He's to me. He's clearly one of the five best receivers in college football or in high school football in the 2024 class. Uh, and and here's what I love about Cam, where you know guys like Jaden Greathouse were making the case for them being like top ten receivers because the polish and and the experience and the production and, and they know how to play the game and all that. And Cam's got some of that too, but the difference is Cam is an explosive athlete. 
and they need a dose, a, a, a continued infusion of explosive athletes. That's going to be the big key. And so that's that's what he brings to the table, and that's what makes him one of the best is because he he doesn't just know how to play the game, and he does. He knows he's for his level. He's a good route runner. He catches the ball well. He can win one on one throws, even though he rarely gets opportunities to do so. He can make plays after the catch, but he's an explosive big play weapon. And to me, to be an elite receiver, like where you're in top five of a prospect ranking, you need to have that kind of thing. That's why, you know, that's why he's such a big pickup for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Huge pickup because he brings that type of big time, big time play to the potent to the to the position. So um he's not as big as like Jeremiah Smith, for example, who who I think is the number one receiver in the class. He's a little taller, thicker. Uh, Michael Hudson's a, a more, I think, a more advanced route runner than Cam is. Uh, Cam Coleman's a guy that's got uh, got some length to him that you know that that uh, that Cam Williams doesn't quite have as much of. But he's as far as like athleticism, how to make plays, playmaking ability. Cam Williams is absolutely in that conversation. Absolutely in that conversation. Question from Laker Irish. What do you predict Great House, Braylon James, and Rico Flores can achieve next year and the rest of their Notre Dame careers? I mean, that's that's looking way into the future. Uh, you know, look, to me, it, I just want to see them finish the year strong. Here's what I think of Jaden Greathouse. A buddy of mine asked me about Jaden Greathouse today, and he asked me who I compared him to. And not some stylistically, but partly stylistically, but also partly you know, like the kind of production he can have. And my answer was the one that I gave when Jaden Greathouse signed with Notre Dame is I really do believe in his career at Notre Dame that he is a Juju Smith-Schuster type of player. You know, will he be a slot? Will he be an outside guy? I don't know the answers to that question. But what I see Jaden Greathouse as being, I, I can absolutely see him being a volume pass catcher in his career. And, and when you look at like Juju Smith-Schuster and you look at the kind of player he was, you know, 2015, he has 89 catches for 1,454 yards and 10 touchdowns. Do I think that Cam Williams will ever, I mean, that Jaden Greathouse will ever get to that level of production? Probably not because it's a different type of offense. And and Juju was a the primary weapon for that team. You know, he had 89 catches. The next highest was 37. He had 1,454 yards. The next highest was 414. He was the pass game. Jaden is always going to be part of a much deeper receiving core than what Juju played with, than what Nelson Aguilar played with even, who had Juju, right? I mean, after that, it was a banged-up George Farmer and Darius Rogers. I mean, and, and you're running back. So there's going to be much more spread outness. There's going to be much more tight end production. But as far as what he brings to the table, it is that level of volume pass catcher. He's a guy that can go out there, move the chains, make big plays when they come. And, um, you know, just be that kind of, you know, maybe only averages 13, 14 yards a catch, but he does it on eight, eight, you know, he'll get his hundred yards on eight catches where a guy like Cam Williams will get his hundred yards on three. Right. And so that's kind of how I see him, him being Braylon James. Well, you know what? Braylon James is actually the better example to use than Brent than Cam Williams. Since we're talking about that here, where if you're playing in a game, you know, Jaden Notre Dame goes out and wins, and they they pass for 295 yards, and Jaden Greathouse has like nine catches for 115 yards and a, and a touchdown, and Braylon James only has three catches, but it's for like 75 yards and a touchdown. Rico Flores has five catches for like 
61 yards, 60 yards, move the change, complimentary player. Then your tight ends have five or six catches for 60, 70 yards. You have a couple plays to your backs, and then boom, you're at 285, and you win the football game. So volume, big play, you know, complimentary type of player. And sometimes that complimentary type of player has to go win you a ball game. Chris Brown against Boston College in 2015 is a great example. Will Fuller was having an off day. Somebody needs to step up and make a play. Who made it? Chris Chris Brown going over and making that big play. Uh, so so sometimes those complimentary guys will win you ball games, and you need those complimentary guys. And that's not an insult to Rico because not everybody can catch nine balls a game, especially if you're going to run the football. So you have to have those different types, and that's what I like about that trio. And then you bring in the big play weapon next year and, and Cam Williams and more of the slot guy. And, and, of course, you know, in this freshman class that you're talking about, there's also Jordan Faison who brings some shiftiness to the table. But that's how I see their careers playing out over the next few years. It's a good question. I like that question. Mark Avalon says, the TV network six-day announcement hold on game times. How do you think attending fans will feel about it as majority of games uh, – more of game times of top 25 teams are not decided till Saturday or Sunday prior. Well, the, the reality is, Mark, is they don't care about fans attending games. They don't. College football just does not care about that. The money that they make is built is still as TV revenue. Like, they just they don't care. And as you see more and more teams not selling out, they care less and less and less. But I, I understand it. I understand what they're doing. They're trying to maximize their potential TV revenue for those games. I don't like it. I uh, I don't like what the NFL is doing where they can just move games. I mean, look, set your schedule. Let people plan accordingly. And especially nowadays, Mark, I mean, I'm not trying to get into politics, but I also am, am, have a brain and I observe the world and I have to pay for things. It's a lot more expensive to do everything now than it was Three, four years ago, five, six, seven, eight years ago. It's just the reality of it. I'm not saying it's because of this person, that person, this party, that party. It's just a reality. It is what it is. I don't care whose fault it is. I think it's all their faults. It's, but it's the reality. You know, I mean, I got to pay eight bucks for a carton of eggs. Three years ago, I was paying $5 less than that. Okay. It is what it is. Four or five years ago, I was paying two bucks for a gallon of gas. Now I'm paying almost $4 for a gallon of gas. Things are more expensive, which means if I'm going to travel to Notre Dame, and and I'm setting up my schedule, and I don't know, okay, do I need to get a hotel Friday night? Uh, if the game's at night, I can drive up that morning, and I get a, maybe get a hotel Saturday night. If it's going to be an afternoon game, i got to drive up Friday, and then can leave home after the game. Uh, all those things factor in, and they don't care. They don't care about that. They don't care that it might impact your schedule. They don't care that it impacts fan schedule. They, they don't care. because there's a, And here's why. There's a lot more fans sitting on their butts watching TV, watching games. And that's not a that's not a criticism. It's just that's where you watch a game, sitting on your butts at your house. If that came across as a criticism, it was not meant to be. There's a lot more people watching at home on television than there are attending the game. They're going to make a lot more money off their TV contract than they are ticket sales. That's just the reality of it. Sad, sad truth of it. And that's why all these decisions are always going to be geared towards what's best for the TV market. I mean, if they wanted to make the game, like they always talk about, you know, oh, we're changing the rules to impact, you know, make it a better environment for people at the stadium. Well, I think maybe Major League Baseball has done that. I don't agree. I, I kind of like the long game. So I'm going to go to a ball game. I want to be there for a while. But I understand why they do that. But like football games, it's like, 
you've you've given us less play, but the games are still kind of going a long way. Why? Because the TV timeouts take so dang long. I mean, some of these TV timeouts are just nuts. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm watching Notre Dame games, and I'm, geez, I mean, geez, Louise, like, these games are taking forever. Like, Notre Dame this season, take away the, uh, the five-and-a-half-hour game. Their last six games have been three hours and eight minutes, three hours, 21 minutes, 316, 321, 322, and 317, right? Looks a lot like last year. So 315, 314, 319, 330, 259, similar to the 250 against Navy, 314, 322, 325, 305, 324, 300, three hours, 312, 402, bowl game 402. What's the difference? Well, now we just have a lot more freaking TV timeouts we got to sit through. Those aren't being shortened. So they don't care. They don't care about the, they don't care about your in-game experience. I'm talking about the NCAA and the college football powers that be. I think Notre Dame's trying their best to put on a good show for us. I, I do. Some of the stuff they do, I think it's cheesy, but I get it. You know, people love it. You know, things like that. The fireworks after the game were really awesome. I mean, the, Notre Dame's trying to make that, the, the things they do with the lights. Notre Dame's trying to make it a better experience for people there. I'm talking about the higher-ups that make these decisions about things like this. The TV networks, they don't they don't care. That's what I'm referring to. And so, no, I, I, I agree with you. I sympathize for you. I mean, I have to make my plans that way accordingly as well. Hey, I'm going to fly in. Okay, do I need to get a hotel Friday night? Do I need? Can I fly in Saturday morning? To, you know, what do I need to do? How far of a hotel can I get away, which impacts the price? If the game's at noon, I got to kind of stay a little closer. So there's just all those type of things that factor into it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.